All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Trace Church. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to, there we go. Go again. All right. That's awesome. Hey, some of you guys just witnessed that we got some new speakers, didn't you? On the sides. If you got blasted, we're still dialing those things in. As you can see, they're awesome. Um, as a guy, I love technology. I love uh, getting new things, but we're just still dialing those in. But we are so excited to have you guys with us this morning, especially if you're a guest. We want to extend a special welcome to you. I did want to let you know that our team, well, four of us uh, out of our team, got to go on a trip this past week, and it was an incredible blessing for us to go to uh, a, a conference out in California in Orange County, and it was a conference called Exponential. And Exponential is a conference given every year, and it talks about the specifics of church planting in our nation. And if you don't know this, I think you should know this. Right now, church planting is the biggest Christian movement that's happening in our nation. And for the past four decades, the church has been on decline. But in the last two to three years, we are now planting more churches than are being closed every year. And you can applaud that because that's amazing. It's exciting stuff. And the great thing is you get to be a part of that. You are helping that to become a reality. And you need to know that it doesn't stop with us. In the future, we hope to be on the front end of planning and preparing future leaders to go plant new churches. And you also need to know this. 5% of all the money that you give goes to new churches. At least 5%. Now, while I'm on that subject, I want to catch you guys up to speed, and maybe this has been a conversation you've had with, a, with your spouse or in your family, and I wanted to let you know of the accountability and integrity that exists behind this particular church plan. You see, we are part of an organization called Orchard. It's called the Orchard Network. It's been around for over 100 years, and this particular network helps to plant future churches. And they've done this for a long time, and so as you can imagine, they have quite a few things figured out, including accountability. So if you're wondering, like, hey, what happens to the money that we give to Trace Church? I want to let you know that there's a management team in place that includes myself and three other people from three different churches. And everything that we spend goes through an approval process. Every single dime is accounted for. And they oversee uh, my accountability, my integrity, making sure that we are doing this the way that God wants us to do it. So hopefully, if you needed any peace of mind, that gives you some peace of mind. Now, i got to share a story that came out of the conference Uh, that I absolutely could not pass up sharing with you. So sometimes what happens in church planning is you have what's called a parachute drop. And a parachute drop is when someone comes into a place that they've never lived before and they plant a church there. That's actually me. We came in from Arizona, and I've only lived here for a year, so we're a parachute drop. And at the conference, they talked about another gentleman who actually came into Colorado as a parachute drop. He wasn't familiar with the culture of Colorado, and he came in, and he's trying to figure out all the nuts and bolts of kind of like the colors, and uh, like we spend a lot of time talking about uh, or thinking through, like what kind of color pattern we're going to have, what's our logo going to look like, all that kind of stuff. And so as he's doing that, he decided that his colors, and this is a true story, can't make this stuff up, was going to be green and white. And so if you've seen, you've noticed maybe out here when you drive in on Sunday morning, we've got two big trailers. And so he wanted to put his logo on this big trailer where they were dragging their equipment to and from the church and different community events. And so he has a big, colors are green and white. He decides that in his logo is going to be a big green cross. (laughs) Think about it. So now... Being an outsider coming in, he doesn't know that a big green cross means that that's a marijuana distribution center. And so he puts that on the side of his 
trailer, and that's part of their logo. And you, you can't, guys, you can't make this stuff up. Not only, not only does he put a big green cross on the side of his trailer, he puts the slogan, come grow with us. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Now, needless to say, they had a lot of first-time visitors <laughs> who came to their church, and I think their drug program is doing really well right now. So, yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Well, guys, it is exciting to be here this morning, and I want to do something that we won't always do. We're actually wrapping up this series called Start Today, and we started this from the beginning, and really original, right? Start, we're starting a new church. But we had thought through in depth what we wanted to talk about, like, man, coming out of the gates of starting a new church, you only get to do this once. You only, you only start a church once, and so what are the subjects that we want to deal with? What are the things that we feel like we need to start doing as individuals, but also things that we need to start doing as a church? And so real quick, we won't always do this at the end of a series, but I want to recap some of the things that we've been discussing because we believe they're very important and worth going back over. And considering how many first-time visitors that I've met this morning, this may be a good recap for you. And just a side note, real quick, time out. If you ever want to catch up on a sermon, all of our sermons are, excuse me, <clears throat> online on tracechurch.com. So if you ever miss a Sunday, which you shouldn't, but if you do, uh, we would love for you to get on there and catch up. That way you're uh, up to speed on the conversation that we've been having as a church. So we began this con- conference. We began this series by talking about this. Start. Start leaving a trace of God's love everywhere you go. That's actually our mission. And we talked about how when we put our faith in Jesus, that he actually gives us his spirit. He gives us himself. And so we literally carry the love of God with us everywhere we go. But that love was never intended to be kept to ourselves, that love was intended to be shared with others. And so our mission here is to leave a trace of that love, God's love that exists inside of us everywhere we go. And so that's what we've decided our mission is. And we talked about how oftentimes we dismiss our ability to do this, our ability to uh, influence others' lives because of our own personal brokenness, because of our own personal history and past mistakes. And so we began by me sitting up here and saying, Let's start by bringing our brokenness to the table. And I brought my brokenness to the table. I shared a long list with you. And we talked about how we're going to write the broken parts of our story into the story of Trace Church. Because listen, don't miss this. God doesn't want just the best parts of you. He wants all of you. And he'll use all of you. He will, he will redeem the ugliest corners of your life if, if you'll put your trust in him. So we decided we're going to start by bringing our own brokenness to the table because none of us have this figured out. There's no spiritual superstars here other than Jesus. Then we talked about the importance of start seeing people again. Personally, I believe this is one of the most important things that we need to start doing if we're not already doing as a church. In this culture, this narcissistic culture where we're so consumed with our lives and what's going on and how things are affecting me, we do not see people anymore. We see transactions we overlook people that God's putting in front of us. And by doing that, it's, it's next to impossible to leave a trace of God's love in their life, right? If we don't even see them. So we want to start seeing people again. We want to get the focus off of ourselves. A statement that I make all the time, let's lose sight of ourselves so that we can see more clearly who God's putting in front of us. And if you want to take one of the biggest steps of faith and growth in your faith life and faith walk, start making your life about other people and not yourself. I promise you, if you do that, you'll come back to me and say, you were right. The next thing we talked about was start with one. 
we understand the busyness that we live in. Now, we shouldn't wear busyness as a badge, which sometimes that we do, but we get it. Guys, we get that you're busy. We get that there are things going on. We have kids. We have jobs. We have neighbors. We have whatever else that looks like. There's tons of things going on in our life. And so this idea, it's like, man, I don't feel like I can help everybody. I mean, seeing people again, that means I feel like i got to help everybody. Let's just start with one. And I love this statement made by Andy Stanley. Why don't you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone because you're not going to be able to help everybody, but you can help somebody. And out of this concept of start with one, we talked to you guys about uh, something that we'll, we'll come back to often around here, and it's called D1, and it's our own personal Bible study. It's our approach of God's Word and how we want to learn more about who He is. Again, if you were here last week, we don't want to just learn more about God. We want to know God. That's why He gave us His Word. And so our approach of God's Word is not just to learn a bunch of information. It's actually to get to know Him. And so here's how we define this. One chapter. Every day, just read one chapter. This is going to take you 10 to 15 minutes. One chapter. One verse. One thought. So as you read that chapter, why don't you write down a verse that stood out to you in that chapter? Maybe it's a question that you have about that particular verse. And write out your thought. What, what is it about that particular verse that's standing out to me? Take a moment. I believe this is probably one of the most powerful things you can do. It may be weird to some of you, especially if you're new in your faith, but just take a moment after you've completed those first three things Just say, God, is there anything you want to say to me? Now, let me be clear. I'm, I've been a, a Christian for the mass majority of my life. I've never heard God audibly. But oftentimes God will take my thoughts and steer them in a direction that allows me to hear from him. And as long as I decipher that and filter through that through his word and know that it's correct and it validates it, it's probably something God wants me to think about. So take a moment and just say, God, is there anything you need to point out to me? A moment, a minute. doesn't need to be very long. And then the last thing, one person. Share this with one person. What we've found is if you actually share what you're learning, not only does somebody else get to benefit from what you're learning, but you'll retain that knowledge because you held on to it long enough to share it with somebody else. And so we've been talking through the importance of starting with one. And then last week, I talked about this. Start speaking of Jesus and not about him. And I mentioned how when I've done this in the past, when I feel like I just speak about Jesus and I don't speak of him, it's as if I'm uh, at a distance with people. I put distance between us and them, and I'm lobbing information at them. I mean, I could tell you scriptures and things that I've learned about the Bible from Bible college and all these things. I could tell you that stuff all day long, and it's like I'm, I'm lobbing it from a distance, keeping space between myself and whoever I'm sharing that information with. That's not what our faith is supposed to be. And so the difference is when we speak of Jesus rather than about him, you can't speak about somebody that you know, or actually you can't speak of somebody that you don't know. And so sometimes we speak about Jesus the same way we would speak about Mel Gibson is the illustration I gave you last week. Because we maybe have never met Mel Gibson. We know about him, and so we speak about him. But we know Jesus because, like I just said, he comes to live inside of us. And because we know him, we can speak of him. And it shouldn't sound like a bunch of random facts and information. It should sound more like a relationship than it does a religion. And so we need to speak of him and how he's influencing our lives. And even, even the struggles that we have with him at times. Now, that catches us up to today. And so today... We're going to finish this series by talking about this. Start owning it. What is it? It is our faith. Start owning your faith in Jesus. And the one thing that we're going to come back to a few times is this. 
when we own our faith, we will live out the mission. So let's jump right in. And when I say jump right in, I mean we're really jumping right in because what I want to talk to you about today is actually controversial. And because it's controversial, I really need you to pay attention and make sure you don't hear what I'm not saying. Because what I'm going to talk about, and again, let me back up real quick. I don't say this for the sake of being controversial. For those people who know me well know that that's not my style. And I'm not going to get up here and say things just to be edgy. But why I want to talk about the subject we're going to talk about today is because it is extremely important when it comes to us taking full ownership of our faith. And before I get to the controversial subject, let's go ahead and talk briefly. And I could be long-winded about this, but I'm going to do it briefly. What do I mean by owning our faith? And so here's where we'll start. Owning our faith in Jesus means it's our faith. And it isn't adopted from someone else. Parents, spouse, friends, guys, you know people. You might, might be this person where the only reason you come to church or you say you have faith in Jesus is because you were told to. Whether it was your parents, whether it was something you married into, whether it's a friend who is making you feel pressured. I don't know what it, that looks like for you. But when it comes to our faith, it cannot be adopted. It has to be ours. It has to be something that we're taking ownership for ourselves. And again, if you're in here and you fall into one of those categories, it's okay. Really, it's okay. But I want you to start taking steps towards ownership. Taking full ownership of your faith and not adopting it from anyone else. The next one is our faith is not a membership at a certain church. And so you'll hear us talk about this around here. One of the reasons why membership became a predominant issue in churches is because of how many denominations were put into place. Do you know that there are over 600 Christian church denominations? Over 600. And as those sects began and continue to break away from one another, those different divisions of Christianity, they started putting this idea of membership in place so that you could say, I'm a part of that church, that denomination. But what this has done, this idea of membership, it has taken away from this idea of ownership, which is, was always intended to be what our faith should, should have looked like, because membership says, I should have rights, right? I mean, how many, you guys are members of health clubs or, you know, golf clubs or whatever that looks like. And when you're a member, you have rights. When it comes to God's church and our faith in Jesus, it's not about rights, it's about responsibilities. And so you're going to hear us talk a lot more about ownership and even next week, we're going to teach our first class called Be a Trace class, and we want everybody to go through this class. Now, traditionally, this is what you would have experienced in a more traditional church that does membership. But we're not going to do membership because, number one, we don't find it in the Bible, and number two, we don't want anybody to get this idea that now that you're a member, you've got rights because church and ownership of our faith is about responsibilities, not about rights. And so Corey's going to talk to you a little bit later more about what it looks like to come and be a part of that Be a Trace class. The next one, our faith is not dependent on a pastor. Now, again, I'm trying not to be long-winded here, but guys, some of you guys are just going to have to take my word for this. But for those that know me well, they would back me up here. Um, I'm doing my best to make sure that I've got very strong filters in place for my own personal purity my own personal accountability, my own personal integrity, because what I'm doing up here, I take very, very serious. But your faith doesn't depend on me. Your faith doesn't depend on my decisions. Your faith doesn't depend on whether or not I royally mess up in life. Your faith depends on Jesus. 
And I've watched so many people that when a pastor, somebody in my position, has made a really dumb decision, they turn their back on the church. They turn their back on their faith. And so somewhere along the lines, they were misguided. That their faith was dependent on a man other than Jesus. It's not. Last one. Our faith is not dependent on a denomination. So let's talk about that for a second. Because some of you maybe grew up in the Catholic Church. Or maybe you know somebody that grew up in the Catholic Church. And when there was the whole scandal with the priests and the children, they said, I'm done. Because I don't agree with that. And they didn't just leave the Catholic Church. They left the church and turned their back on their faith. Maybe you were a part of the Methodist churches and Episcopal churches. And they kind of took a a turn towards this idea that we're going to support gay marriage. Now, you'll get to know us around here. We love everybody. We want everybody to come here. But we're going to hold true to God's word. And so... Uh, we're, we're not in support of gay marriage, but we're in support of people. And so we want everybody to come and hear the gospel here. But maybe some people heard that and it's like, man, I don't agree with that. So I'm turning my back on the church. And they walked away. Maybe you were a part of a Baptist church or know somebody that was a part of a Baptist church. And so you, you turned away just because they're Baptists. I'm just kidding. I'm allowed to say that because I used to be a Baptist. Okay, so Southern Baptist boy up here. Uh, love the Baptists. But maybe something happened in a Baptist church. You know, I hear people that talk about legalism that came out of the Baptist church and they turned their back because they were fed up with that. Maybe you were a part of a Pentecostal church and you were taught that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to be saved. That's taught in some Pentecostal environments. And you said, I'm done. There's no way I'm going to agree with that. And so not only did you just turn your back on a denomination, you turned your back on the church. And maybe you know friends that have done this. Our faith is not dependent on whether or not a denomination makes the right choices, or moves in the direction that they're supposed to move in. Now, you need to be aware of those things, but our faith is not dependent on that. And guys, I promise you, we're going to make mistakes here. We're going to do our best not to, but we will make mistakes here. And my hope is that your faith is not, de- not dependent on whether or not we make mistakes or not. So here's really what I'm saying. Owning our faith means our only root, our only dependence is in Jesus, period. Now, for the sake of illustration, let's play a quick game. How many of you guys grew up Catholic? Okay, quite a few of you. Okay, very good. How many of you guys grew up Methodists? Any Methodists in here? Okay, good. How many of you guys grew up Baptists? I knew this was good. See, that's why we're such an awesome church already. Look at all the Baptists that are in here. You guys are awesome. Uh, How about Presbyterians? Any Presbyterians? Okay, a handful of you guys. And then let's do one more. There's a lot that we could do. Pentecostal, anybody from a Pentecostal background? Okay, a few of you. Awesome. Now, um, what if, what if, instead of bringing the negative experiences that came from those denominations into this place, and that's all we focused on, what if we brought all the great qualities from those previous church experiences into this place? Because I know a lot of Catholics, friends with a lot of Catholics, and I love their devotion to the Lord's Supper and how serious they take it. Now, we may disagree on some things when it comes to that, but I love their devotion to it because it is a very important thing. I love the reverence for who Jesus is and God. And so maybe you bring that into this place. And if you're Baptist, I love the Baptists and their devotion to God's Word and understanding God's Word and Bible study. And maybe you bring that into this place. Or maybe Pentecostal background and you bring 
your devotion to the Holy Spirit and being a Spirit-filled church into this place. And we bring all of these good qualities to this place to make it the best that it can possibly be instead of just focus on what some of them have done wrong. Did I already tell you that we're going to do some stuff wrong here too? I can promise you that. But let's do our best to bring whatever we can that was good, good experiences to this place so that we can make it the best it can be. Now, let's get into the controversy. Ever since I said it was going to be controversial, that's all you could think about. Let's be honest. So when it comes to owning our faith in Jesus, here is what I want to talk about this morning. If anybody ever asks you, what do you believe in? What's your faith? What's your religion? Whatever, something in that category. Here's what I want us to stop doing. I want us to stop saying that we're Christians. What? I mean, this is be quiet. And here's why. I believe we've replaced a verb with a noun. Here's what I mean by that. When we say we're a Christian, it's a one-word answer that helps people to understand a belief system. But when we look at what Jesus said and what Jesus did, he never told us to use a one-word answer to tell people what we believe in. And so what we've done is we've taken this response away of saying, hey, this is what we do. This is, hey, what do you believe in? Well, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and fill in the blank. Instead, we've taken a verb, which is telling people something that we do, and we've replaced it with a noun, which is the word Christian. Now, the back, background of the word Christian, Christianos, when you look at it, Christianos, when you look at it in the Greek, literally means Christ follower. It means a follower of Jesus. And so uh, I think that is a better answer than the word Christian. And so a lot of people today, you'll hear them say this. It's like, I don't really say I'm a Christian because too many people think that that word, word means too many different things. I actually say that I'm a Christ follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. I like that. But it's still not where I want to go today because I believe that there's a better answer. And so just give me a second because I want to build my case for why I think this is so important. And I bet even if you're skeptical now, even if you're like, whoa, where's he going with this? My bet is that you're going to agree with me by the time we get done. In the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. That's it. In the entire Bible, the word Christian is only used three times. So for those of you that like taking notes, here's the chapters and the verses where you're going to find those. Acts eleven twenty six, 26, Acts 26, 28, and 1 Peter four sixteen. Now, what's interesting, even out of these three verses, the only three verses where you're going to find the word Christian, two times it's got somewhat of a negative connotation. But again, the most important argument that I'm going to put forward today is that Jesus never instructed us to use a label or a noun or the word Christian to define who we are. In other words, we've, we've taken a noun and we've replaced it where a verb should be. And so we need to talk about this. Because when someone asks you what you believe in, when somebody says, hey, what's your belief system? What's your religion? What are your thoughts on religion or anything like that? If you simply give them the word Christian, they're going to define that, even if they don't verbalize it, they're going to define that a thousand different ways. To a, it'll look a thousand different ways to a thousand different people. Some people will think to themselves, oh, you're a Christian. That means you don't love people who aren't like you. Oh, you're a Christian, so you're sexist and you oppress women. Oh, you're a Christian. You hate gay people. Oh, you're a Christian, <clears throat> so you attack abortion clinics. Oh, you're a Christian, so you're like those guys that abuse kids by manipulating them in a church setting. Now, is that fair? No, it really isn't fair. But it's true for some Christians. Guys, just this past week, 
as we're praying for the people on the East Coast who are dealing with Hurricane Matthew, this was a trending statement from an article online from a columnist. Here's what he said. Gays are responsible for some of the most violent disasters, natural disasters, the earth has seen. And God is sending Hurricane Matthew to Florida because of an upcoming gay pride celebration in Orlando. Let me be a little bit candid here. I don't want to be thrown into the same bucket as idiots like that. I don't. And so if there's a better way I can explain what it means for me to be a Christian... Because again, I, I don't believe we need to get rid of the word as a whole. I really, I'm not making that argument. Because I do believe it helps to describe a collective belief system. I'm simply making the argument when somebody asks you what you believe in, that the word Christian is not the best answer. And my best argument is that Jesus never told us to explain ourselves that way. Guys, this is just another example of why it is so essential that we describe what we do rather than what we are, because when we say the word Christian, we're simply saying what we are and not what we do. And so people will define what you do based on things like they, what they read on the Internet. Is it fair? No, it's not fair, but it's a reality. One of the things that helped bring this to light for me was when uh, I've taken several trips to Africa in very high Muslim-populated areas, 98 plus percent Muslim areas, and I've done this three separate times, and went through a lot of training, a lot of training to do this, uh, because we were going to be talking to Muslim people, and one of the things that happens really quickly is when you start a conversation, and as soon as they know you're American, which is pretty obvious, as soon as they know you're an American, they say, oh, you're you're a Christian, because they associate all Americans with Christians, since America is a Christian nation, or so it used to be. We now know that we're in a post-Christian nation. And so they think all Americans are Christians. So Madonna, Britney Spears, and they may be Christians. I don't know where they're at today, but they throw everybody into that same pile. And so what a lot of missionaries have done is they want to get themselves and take themselves away from this explanation of just being a Christian because the word Christian is defined a thousand different ways to a thousand different people. And so when they go over and they talk to these Muslims, and I did this as well, very quickly you'll see that this happens. Oh, you're a Christian. Here's, here's where I learned to answer this question differently. What does that mean? And you'd be surprised how they would define the word Christian. And once they defined the word Christian, I would say, no, I'm not that. But I do love Jesus. And I'm learning what it looks like to follow him with my life. And I screw up at it all the time. That's why I'm so thankful for his grace. Because even in my mistakes, he fills those gaps for me because he died for them on the cross a little over 2,000 years ago. And I don't have it figured out, but I'm in pursuit of him. And I want as many people to know about him as possible. I say something like that. What do you think leaves a bigger impact on people? I'm a Christian. Let them define what that looks like. Or, this is what I do. Guys, when people ask us what we believe in, as we start to take ownership of our faith, we need to tell them what we do, not what we are. Jesus never wanted us to tell people what we are. He wanted us to tell people what we do. And you'd be surprised how many Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus by simply getting rid of the word Christian, by simply explaining what it means to have a faith devoted to Jesus and making him the leader and Lord of your life. 
mass conversions. There's books being written about this right now. Mass conversions of Muslims coming to know who Jesus is. Speaking of Jesus, let's talk about him for a second. Because here's what he says to a group of his followers. This is going to help highlight and emphasize my point this morning. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 20, we'll begin in verse 23. He then said to them all, this is his disciples. He's pulling them together, kind of like a, a huddle. Hey, guys, come in here real quick, because I'm noticing he's looking around. There's a lot of people following me for a lot of different reasons. So come in here real quick. Come in here. Here's what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their own cross daily. Let's pause there. Deny themselves. Stop focusing so much on yourself. Start making your life about other people. And take up their cross daily and follow me. What is it that we need to be giving up? What is it that we need to be sacrificing on behalf of God's kingdom? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, build our own little kingdoms, and, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means we deny ourselves. We pick up our own cross daily. And we follow him. If you're wanting another answer to give to people for what you do, not what you are, but what you do and what Jesus means to you, it's a good place to start. What do I believe? I believe that Jesus bared a cross that had every single sin on it, including mine. And he died for it. That's the cross that he bared. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my cross looks like. And here's what I'm learning. My cross changes. At one point in my life, it was addiction. Other times in my life, it was pride. And it still is at times. Our cross changes. And so maybe your best answer is letting people know what cross you're, you need to bear. What cross you need to pick up. And don't, don't miss sight of the word daily. Daily. Maybe our explanation would start to leave a lot more with people than a simple word that they will define however they want to if we start explaining what we do rather than what we are. And so my hope is that you're starting to understand why this is such a big deal to me because we have to change the conversation. We have to change the conversation. As I read earlier in the lump and the pile of people that we're thrown into when we simply use the word Christian, and let me say it one more time. I'm not saying we need to dismiss or get rid of the word altogether. I'm saying we need to get rid of it as an answer for what we believe in. So this morning, I don't know what cross it is that you need to pick up. But can I encourage you that when somebody asks you what you believe in, this just happened to me at the vitamin shop the other day, where somebody started a conversation with me, and they said, so, oh, you're a Christian. And I said, what do you mean by that? And then they gave some weird answer. I said, no, I'm not sure that's what I am, but here's what I am. And I let them know what I'm trying to do, trying to be full of both truth and grace and the pursuit of both truth and grace. And you can tell it left a much bigger impact on him as if compared to what it would have been if I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Have a great day. I don't know what your cross is. But I know we all have one because Jesus just told us. 
Maybe your cross is Jesus walking with you through a divorce right now. Maybe your cross is Jesus walking with you through an addiction right now. Maybe it's a porn problem. Maybe it's a sex addiction problem. Maybe it's your own pride. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's a lack of belief. Maybe you haven't even begun to pick up a cross yet because you're still living your own life. You've yet to put your faith in Jesus and making him the leader and Lord of your life. And so maybe that's the first cross that you have to pick up. I don't know what your cross is. But can I encourage this as we move in the direction of Jesus today? We think about it. What cross is Jesus calling me to pick up daily in my pursuit of him? And the next time somebody asks you, what's your religion? What do you believe in? You don't give them a word, a one-word answer. But you tell them what you do. I'll remind us one more time. When we own our faith, we will live out the mission. My hope is that we come together and take ownership of our faith. And whatever mission it is that God has given you personally, we start to live it out. I'm going to pray for us. And then Corey is going to come up and the worship team is going to lead us in one more song. Father, I know this is... uh, heavier subject, God, uh, but I've been so convicted by this, and God, I pray for those that are in this room that are trying to decipher through all this and come to their own conclusions, God, I pray that you bring them back to your word, you bring them back to Jesus, and show them we were never supposed to give a one-word answer for our, our pursuit of Jesus. We were never supposed to put a noun where a verb is supposed to be. And so, God, I pray that you help that verb come to life in each of us. Maybe that's what it looks like to bear our own cross, to pick up our own cross daily. Maybe it's something that we're struggling with Jesus through, even if it's doubt, letting people see, you know what, I'm in pursuit of Jesus, but I still got a lot of questions. And letting people know that's okay, that's where they're at. But, Father, as we change this conversation, especially for a culture that's running in the opposite direction of you, that in our explanation of what we do, we actually leave people with something that will cause them to rethink who Jesus could be in their life. And so God, I invite you into this conversation, Father. I pray you take it from this point moving forward. And God, I'm so thankful that you have partnered with us and that you bore that first cross. All of our sins were on it. We can't imagine how heavy it was but you died for them all. Thank you for doing that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.